This is Zechariah chapter 1, verses 18 through 21. And I lifted up my eyes and saw, and behold, four horns. And I said to the angel who talked with me, What are these? And he said to me, These are the horns that have scattered Judah, Israel, and Jerusalem. Then the Lord showed me four craftsmen. And I said, What are these coming to do? He said, These are the horns that scattered Judah, so that no one raised his head. And these have come to terrify them, to cast down the horns of the nations who lifted up their horns against the land of Judah, to scatter it. The grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of the Lord, it stands forever. Praise be to God. Two points will help us to see that God's power is supreme, which provides real comfort for his people. Two points, creature and craftsman. It's a pretty easy split. I think y'all will be able to see it. First, we see the creatures in verses 18 and 19. At first glance, like all the other ones, this vision can be uh, a little bit confusing. You're thinking, okie dokie, you know, I'm not sure, you know, what's going on. But, but once we get the lay of the land, the flow is actually quite simple. And the point, very obvious. Let's start then with the horns. What are we talking about when we say horns? Uh, you know, it's, we see this term come up all the time, actually, in the Bible. The women of the church, if I recall, I mean, this might have been a year ago now, but uh, Daniel, uh, I'm looking at some of the teachers, you know, went through Daniel. If you're, you don't got to read Daniel long until you start to see all kinds of horns, right? And you're thinking... You know what? They're representing people. They're representing places. They're representing nations. And you're thinking, how do we kind of maneuver through this? Well, baseline horns at this time, literally in time, as well as in the Old Testament generally, represented strength. Now, a modern day example, it's very easy for us to see horns of the bull, right? Uh, you know, you grab the horns of the bull, right, to kind of get things done, but None of y'all are grabbing the bull by the horns, all right? The real one that's coming after you, you're running. At least you better be or you're going to get hurt, okay? Because it is strong and powerful, all right? Even a little bull with little horns will take you out, okay? And so we see this kind of modern-day example. It's very easy. But then when you translate it and see how these uh, kind of illustrations and this thought process is used in the Old Testament, a good, a good one is, is actually on the altar in the tabernacle in the temple. You know, uh, in the Old Testament, one way that Jesus Christ was supremely revealed was through the sacrificial system. Lots of animals were, were sacrificed in order that the gospel of Jesus might be shown. By the blood shed are you saved, and yet uh, these are the bloods of rams and goats, and you've got to keep doing it day by day. There is one coming, a great sacrifice that will be once for all. The Messiah is coming, right? But we're looking at this, and the priests and the Levites are proclaiming this good news, the very good news of the New Testament, okay? That God will save his people by blood sacrifice. And we see on that altar where all of that was taking place, four horns. Actually, you could grab a hold of the horn and you'd be safe, usually, from someone coming after you in retribution. 
because that is the strength of God being revealed as sacrifices are are given uh, for the sins of the people. It is the strength of God that is being revealed in that moment, the reality of his supreme nature. Horns. You see it all throughout the Old Testament. Uh, In places like Daniel, where you get kind of like we have here in Zechariah, but you also see it in places like uh, like the uh, Leviticus, you know, the sacrificial system revealing the good news. Strength. Horns mean strength. You see elsewhere in the Psalms, the horn of my salvation, the strength of my salvation. Now, if we kind of have a baseline of what a horn is, or at least this representation of what we see in, in Zechariah, what about the number? What about four? Why four horns? As I mentioned earlier, are, are they nations, people, something else, a combination? What is this? Well, sure. Uh, yeah, okay. Uh, I, think, I think we could go a lot of different ways with this, but let me do a baseline. Four sneezes. That's how many it takes for me. Four sneezes. Y'all know what I'm talking about? One sneeze, bless you. That's okay. Two sneezes, you must have allergies. It's okay. Bless you. Three sneezes. Yeah, okay. Bless you. I'm <laughs> You're fine. You know, you need to head out. Four sneezes. Come on now. What are you doing? Right? Four sneezes is too many. Y'all know what I'm talking about? You get that fourth sneeze and you're thinking, "Come on." You know, I said bless you already. Now it's just awkward. Now it's just uncomfortable. The Bible actually has a similar principle. Uh, In the book of Amos, for instance, Amos chapter 1, for three transgressions and for four am I going to come in retribution, right? The Lord speaking and condemning not only the nations, actually, but also Judah and Israel for, for three transgressions and for that fourth sneeze, right? One, two, many. A totality. It's too much, right? It's, it's boom, broken. Too much. And so we see here four horns. Yes, very easily could represent certain nations, very easily could represent certain people. But a reality stands that as we see this number four in the scriptures, Amos is a great example for three and for four. That fourth one got me, right? That's the moment. And and so I think uh, a baseline, as we're thinking about does four matter? Yes, absolutely, because it was mentioned in scripture and all of scripture matters. And so as we're looking and we're thinking, how, Lord, what should we see? Well, we know that these horns are strong, and we know that there are a lot of them, okay? Could be four empires. One is enough. It only took one to destroy Judah, right? It only took one to destroy Israel. It only took one to lay low the land. Now we've got four all coming from these different places. And so uh, uh, four, for three transgressions and for four. For perhaps uh, three horns and for four. There, there is a multitude of these creatures, uh, of these horns. And so now with, with the what and the sort of who, well, well now we can focus on the actions because it's apparent, right? We see these strong figures uh, who are representing uh, those who are against God's people. And how do we know? Because we see that these horns scattered Judah, Israel, and Jerusalem. In other words, all of God's people. That's, 
That's the totality of God's land, of, of God's people's land, of, of this uh, revelation in the Old Testament, of, of where he was residing and where his people was residing, of, of the promised inheritance that he was giving them, the land of milk and honey. All of it, then, has been scattered before these horns. They did damage. They caused distress. They broke the norms in which the people were living. And that was the point, actually. We must remember at this point why Judah, Israel, and Jerusalem was scattered in the first place. Judah, Israel, and Jerusalem were scattered in the first place because they had turned their eyes away from the Lord. And God previously, when he was giving them their inheritance and their land, told them, if you turn away from me, I will scatter you across the nations. There will be those who come and destroy that which you never owned. That which I gave you, I will take away. Real comfort. Remember our main point. God's power is supreme. And because of this, in this, through this supreme power, real comfort is conferred upon the people. Real comfort means removing fake comfort first. When we sit and think that we are okay, when we are not, we're in big trouble. And God picked up his whole people and scattered them to the winds that they might wake up and in their homecoming that they might have a heart check to see why in the world these things would take place. The horns, in other words, are not the ones who are most terrifying. Because this, the prophecy goes on, right? You maybe saw it with the children's illustration. The craftsmen in verses 20 and 21. Notice the reminder of the power of the horns in that first part of verse 21 of our text. You know, you... You get Ze Zechariah, he's going to do this more, you know, okay, what's going on? He, he asks this question, you know, what, what is this? You know, I, you, could you tell me? And, and, and each time there's this revelation that occurs. And, and so Zechariah says, what are these coming to do? Talking about the craftsmen. But you get this, you get this prelude, this reminder. He said, these are the horns that scattered Judah so that no one raised his head. These are the horns I asked about the craftsmen. You know what? I asked about something different. You know, why would you start with that? But, but it is a good reminder. It is, uh, it is the reminder that someone mighty and that someone strong has come and is doing a terrifying work. In order to do that, there must be might and there must be power. But then you might notice these four craftsmen are strong enough to terrify that which terrifies. A bigger person enters the fray, right? Uh, so where you are here and you are seeking to terrify, you are the sixth grader terrifying fourth graders, right? And the twelfth grader, the older brother comes in. Okay? It's a different story at that point where you were in power thinking you had this thing, exerting your, your dominance, you know, you're the bully, 
The tides have turned, my friend, and the older brother is in the midst, right? These four craftsmen come in, and they are strong enough to terrify that which terrifies. I, I did try to show that to the children, and parents, we will have to talk and make sure that we got the point across, but uh, the concept here of casting down, it's very physical. Uh, I usually don't do language stuff, but it's very helpful this time. The concept is that this craftsman is blacks, blacksmith-like. Okay, And a blacksmith has a big old hammer and knows how to mold and, and destroy and create. He's a craftsman and yet very strong. And you can kind of hear the tink, tink, right? If you've seen videos or you know, maybe movies or things where you, you, know, you get this tink, this metal clang over and over of the blacksmith doing his work. And so this craftsman, these four craftsmen come in and there are these horns. The implication that the horns are metal. Strong, right? Uh, made of something that cannot be bent. And the blacksmith says, can't be bent. Are you serious? Right? They are strong enough to terrify that which terrifies. To cast down. To flatten. To destroy. To scatter. Even as the horns were able to scatter, these craftsmen come in to do the same thing. Baseline. These horns went against God by going against his people. And now the craftsmen are rendering justice against such actions with total capability and no resistance. There's no fight. The blacksmith comes in and deals his work with the metal. It is as simple as that. No resistance, no fight. The blacksmith simply does his crafting job. Here is where... It is very important for us. You know, that, that's it. That's the vision. Okay? There are horns. There, there is strong enemies of God that are coming. There are those who are here now. And there are those who are stronger that the Lord has sent to cast those in order to render justice. But, but this is where the rubber hits the road for us. Because we, that is humanity, not just the church, but the church is also guilty of this, always want to take justice and vengeance into our own hands. But God's plans and movements are much larger and much more intricate at the very same time than we typically, if ever, give him credit for. God is working. Yes, there are horns. And yes, there are craftsmen. And this is going on even now as God is rendering justice upon those who deserve it, including us. That's what the gospel is. Justice rendered. Do we know that? And do we hold fast to that reality that Jesus took the justice that we deserve. That is the fullness of the wrath of God. Our gospel is weighty and not cheap. It is good for us to pay attention with all seriousness to that reality that our Lord took upon us the clang, clang, bang of the hammer. For we did deserve it. And Jesus took it. That is why it is so good. It's offensive. There's no way that could be unless God told me. 
and he does. Incredible, beautiful grace and mercy revealed in strength. And, and yet, we try to take that sometimes. Let's keep going, though. We'll come back. Real comfort means having the strength to comfort. We need to zoom out. And I tried to get this with the children. Parents, pay attention well. I tried to get this with the children. But, but we have to zoom out one more time before we can conclude with a few applications. Because the four craftsmen, they are strong enough to terrify that which terrifies the horns. But the craftsmen, they are not God. They are representative of God. They reveal, in a sense, his power, supreme power. They reveal, in a sense, his creator nature, right? That, that one who is outside of time and creation. In other words, the creator. These craftsmen reveal that, but they are not God. Simply representative. In other words, God is even above the craftsmen. Third grader getting bullied, God's people. Sixth grader, the horns. Twelfth grader, the craftsmen. Daddy, God. When daddy rolled in, playtime is over, right? Do y'all remember that? Do y'all have stories like that? Come on, listen. You know, you're getting into a fight, whether you're winning or losing, right? Somebody's dad rolls in, game over. Full stop, period. If y'all don't, I'll share some stories. Some of them are cool, some of them not so cool on my side, but I'm done. That's the reality that we get here. Because God is not the craftsman. He is supreme, above. Those craftsmen reveal him, and yet his might is supreme. There is none like him. He is creator. Now, we're about to sing all hail the power of Jesus' name. Let angels prostrate fall, bring forth the royal diadem, and crown him Lord of all. But why? If Jesus has this, why would we sing to his name? Here are some applications, some questions that I think are very important for us and that can help us as we sing such words to our God. Number one, with supreme power and authority, God chose to save his people rather than destroy them. Do you know God as the one who saves, the one who takes your fun away, or do you know him at all? Those are three easy categories. There are more. Do you know God as the one who saves? Do we desire to sing to him, all hail the power of Jesus' name? Or do we have a different conception of God? One that uh, we sort of sing to just because Miss Judy put it in the bulletin for us. She chose that song. She must have prayed for it. You must have prayed for it. So I guess I'll, you know, kind of lip, give lip service to the words. Or do we sing it because we know that? And our desire is to sing that because our God is the one who has saved us. Or is our conception a little bit truncated, a little bit shrunken? Number two, God moves history in the way that will ultimately comfort his people. Without exaggeration, God causes kingdoms to rise and fall for his people's sake. Without exaggeration, that is what we are reading about right now. In that light then, have you considered 
that whatever circumstance you currently find yourself in is ordained by God, and in other words, with purpose. If God causes kingdoms to rise and kingdoms to fall, it might be wise for us to consider what he might be doing in individual lives because he is that intricate. The craftsmen reveal God is the ultimate and supreme craftsman, able to reveal all of these things in perfection as he moves it forward. Number three, God's supreme power also means supreme control. God embodies perfect justice. Therefore, with his power and control, will perfect justice be enacted and exacted. But have you let this truth affect your soul? In other words, are you still trying to be a lowercase g, grim reaper God who goes after the people that frustrate you? who go after the people that don't agree with you. Because that is not what the Christian has been called to. Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. That's what God said. God will enact and exact justice from the nations and from the people in your lives. We are called to a different path, a path of the cross, to pick up our cross and follow after the Lord Jesus to turn the other cheek, to love our enemies as ourselves. That's very hard, much harder than being the lowercase g, grim reaper gods. That's a different call. And yet God is doing these things, and we can take comfort in that even as we go down a seemingly more arduous path, one where we must die to self, and must humble ourselves and prostrate ourselves, even when our strong desire is to lock our legs and stand up tall. But y'all know, just like I do, from officiating weddings, other things, right? What happens when you lock your legs for too long? You pass out. All right, fourth and finally, and this is our conclusion. God's power is supreme, which provides real comfort to his people. Acknowledging this is one thing, living it is another. Where are you seeking comfort, really? I get it that on Sunday morning, as we are reading God's word together, as we are seeking to worship his name, if I say, do you acknowledge that God's power is supreme and that you get real comfort from him, I get it that the majority of us are going to nod our head and say yes. But really, really, in real life, real time, are we ones who are flying to the Lord or are we ones flying to creature comforts, to things that don't last, to things that ultimately kill? Bad habits, bad people, good people, good habits. What are we flying to for comfort and are we going to God? Because God is the one with supreme power, which means that God provides real comfort 
to his people. This is why we come and worship him, because he is already deserving of praise because of his supreme nature. And yet with that, he confers upon us love and mercy and grace, which draws us all the more into a depth of desire to praise his name, at least for those who believe in the Lord Jesus. Such things are true. I know it is true of us at Centennial. And so hold fast to this, not only as we sing all hail the power of Jesus' name today, but might we do so on Monday through Saturday, revealing not ourselves. What are we going to show? Revealing our God who is supremely powerful and mighty to save. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you. Thank you for your good word. Uh, it seems like a crazy word, and yet it is so good. God, thank you. Thank you for sending your son. Thank you for your strength revealed, not just in condemnation, which we deserve, but in love and mercy, which we don't, and yet you give. God, help us to always remember that you are strong and that you are strong to save. God, truly, all hail the power of Jesus' name. May we sing it today and may we live it tomorrow. In Jesus' name, amen.